1: Heavenly Father, open our eyes, open our ears, open our minds, and open our hearts to see, hear, understand, and believe all that you have for us today. I pray that your spirit would carry your word to your people today to reveal the heart of the Father and a fresh revelation of the Son so that out of our hearts would flow rivers of living water that would be used to heal others, leading them home to the Father's house, and together we would heal a city heal a state, heal a nation, and heal the world in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can be seated. So sometimes when I preach, people will ask me to share my slides with them. They don't realize that that's actually a huge undertaking, that there's like hundreds of megabytes of graphic files that are not easy just to text somebody. So when I saw Pastor Jim Garlow preached, he gave his notes to the congregation. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is gonna save so many awkward conversations and also help people to engage with the message. So if you want my notes, there's a lot of scripture in this message. Just text Pastor Morgan's notes to 55525 and then forget about it. So you can just engage today. All right, so come with me in your Bibles to the very beginning of the Bible. Genesis 1: one, if you're confused, I or don't know if you're in the right place, it literally starts with in the beginning. So Genesis one one in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth, and the word for God in that scripture is Elohim. Elohim is a generic word for God. It speaks to God's position. It does not speak to His personhood. Elohim is like uh, like a title. Like you could call me pastor, or you could call you could say a teacher, or congressman, or something like that. They're all titles but it's not a relation, it's a position. It would be weird if my kids came home when I'm coming home from work at the end of the day, tired and ran up to me and threw their arms around my leg and said, pastor, pastor, pastor. It would be weird if I went out on date night with Jenny and she gave me a kiss and said, pastor, Elohim is a title. So if you come a little bit... Forward to Genesis 2.15. It says, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree in the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. When God created, when the Lord God created man, he formed man. He formed man for relationship. He formed him personally. He breathed life into him. Man was not spoken, man was formed. And when God formed man in the Bible, his name changes in the English translations to Lord God. But if you read it in the Hebrew, his name changes from Elohim to yod Vavhe or Yahweh, which is his personal name. It's the name that he revealed to Moses. So the Lord God took man and he put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. He gave him purpose. And the Lord God commanded man saying, out of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I shall make for him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground the Lord formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and he brought him to Adam to see what he would call him, authority. And whatever Adam called each living creature that was his name. God's name, uh, Yodh it translates as I am that I am in English, but the meaning is more, I create whatever I create. God's name in his name, in his personhood is creation. We are his inheritance, we have a creative call on our lives. Adam was called to create. It's like take your son to work day. He gave him real authority to speak the names and whatever Adam spoke, they became. You following me? So Adam gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found to be a helper comparable to him. In Luke 3.38, Luke has the revelation that Adam was created as a son. And there is very bad teaching about this, that we only have been adopted through the blood of Christ. Let me get this clear, that Adam was created for sonship with God. Yeah. The serpent deceived him, and we'll get to this in a minute, to believing that he was no longer worthy to be called a son. But in, uh, in, uh, in Luke 3.38, it says the son of Enosh, the son of Adam, or the son of Seth, who was the son of Adam, who was the son of God. So the Lord God created Adam, his son, gave him identity. Adam was given the garden to tend and keep. He was given purpose. And then the Lord God brought Adam, every living creature to name, take your kid to work. And whatever Adam named them, that's what they became. He gave him real authority. And then the Lord God created Eve for Adam. When all three of those things are present, there is joy in community. When there's a healed heart where a spirit that brings purpose can rest, community naturally flows out of that. So he brought Eve in as community. So forward to Genesis 3, 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. Little side note, it doesn't say that the serpent was more cunning than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. The serpent wasn't formed by God like the beasts of the field were, like Adam and Eve were. He was a spoken being. He is a fallen angel. The angels were spoken The angels weren't created for relationship. They were created for another purpose, but he was kicked out of heaven and fallen and took the form of a serpent. And he was more cunning than any of the creatures that God had formed. And he said to the woman, has God said, up to this point, God's name had been Yahweh Elohim. The serpent didn't know God Personally, he only knew him positionally. And he said, Did God, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, no, 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 you, you don't have it, right? We can eat of any tree of the garden, but the fruit in the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one one, wise she took of the fruit and it ate and she ate and they also gave it to her husband with her and he ate then both of their eyes were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings and then they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day God would come to them in the late afternoon like a good father comes home in the late afternoon and spends time with his kids That was the time of the day that God would spend, the Lord God would spend with them. But Adam said to his wife, they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And then the Lord God called to Adam and said, where are you? The Lord God knew where Adam was, but Adam had lost his sense of place. The serpent only knew God positionally, not personally, and only cared about power, not relationship. The serpent wanted to destroy Adam and Eve's intimacy with the Lord God, so when he planted seeds of doubt in Eve's, Eve's mind, he referred to God, his positional title, Elohim, not his personal name, Yahweh. But as soon as that seed of doubt took hold in Eve's mind, Eve changed her language and started to refer to the only one, the one she had only known as Yahweh, she started to call him Elohim. Before the serpent came on the scene, Adam and Eve would look at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the center of the garden, and they would see God's love, God's care, God's protection. When the serpent sowed that seed of doubt, that love and protection, they saw it as God's insecurity and God's control. And they started to question whether or not God was good. In July 2019, I preached a message called Cops and Fathers. And the premise of the message is that God is a loving father, not an officer of the law. And God kept bringing me back to Genesis 3.22 while I was preparing for the message, but Genesis 3, 22 and 23 are where Adam and Eve get expelled from the garden. And it was a very inconvenient scripture to be brought back to when I'm trying to reveal God as a loving father. And it really convicted me because I wanted to cut it out of my message. I knew that this was the central thing that he was bringing me to, but I did all of my slides, all of my notes, and I'm like, la, 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 Holy Spirit, I'm just going to do this. And then it came time for me to preach. And on the day that I was delivering this message, it was the old 5 p.m. service at Balboa. I was so jacked up internally because I felt like I was editing scripture and I was trying to kick the Holy Spirit out of my message. And so I stayed from the morning service all the way through till the afternoon because I knew that God needed to do a work in my heart. And worship was practicing, it was loud inside, and so I went out of my, in, in my car to pray, and I kid you not, I got on my knees in my car, and I have a sedan, it was awkward, but I was having a moment. <laughs> and I prayed, I said, God, I know that you are good. But if you're the same yesterday, today, and forever, and you long for hearts to be restored, to be reunited, that you want us to be reunited, you don't want us to be punished, why would you punish them like that? And as clear as I have ever heard the Holy Spirit, I felt him say it wasn't punishment, it was protection. He said, look back. To 321, and read the story through the lens of a loving father who wants to protect and restore his kids. So, Genesis 321, for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of leather, and he clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he pull his hand, uh, put out his hand, and take also of the tree of life, and eat, and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden with a flaming sword, which turned every which way to guard the way to the tree of life. God showed me that if Adam and Eve had eaten of the tree of life, they would have entered into eternity. But because their relationship had been broken, they would have entered into an eternity separated from God. And he needed to take them out of the garden to buy himself time to restore the relationship. But like in everything, he went first and he gives this beautiful prophetic picture that he covers them in leather. I don't know if you know this, but before the flood, everybody was vegetarian. There had never been death in the Garden of Eden until God committed the first sacrifice, sacrificing animals to create leather to cover his kids. And it's a picture of what he would do when he came to earth in the form of a man and let himself be sacrificed to cover us, to restore the relationship with him. God is a restorer and he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There are some Christians that want a relationship with the son, but they don't want restoration with the father because they're scared of father God. It's because we have a wrong view of the Father when we believe that way, that God is good. Amen? Amen. So Adam was formed by the hand of God as a son, not a servant. When the serpent deceived Adam and Eve into believing that God was insecure and trying to control them, it disfigured their hearts and the spirit of rejection that was on the devil was transferred to Adam and Eve. Instead of believing that they were a son and daughter of God, they believed that they had been rejected. Just as Lucifer had been rejected from heaven, they took on an orphaned spirit, a broken heart, even though in reality, the Lord's God's heart had never changed towards them. They had not been orphaned by God, but had been deceived by the serpent into believing that they were no longer worthy to be called son and daughter. The same spirit has been passed down generationally to us. When we feel like we can no longer trust the father God, our interpretation of his word and his character is tainted with unhealthy fear of his presence and a distrust of his promises we deal with fear by hiding or pushing it deep down inside our spirit. And since we don't allow the Father to remove the fear, we struggle to handle it on our own. Instead of acknowledging fear within our inner core, we learn how to be self-reliant, thinking if we can just succeed, we can overcome fear by proving ourselves worthy. If we begin to succeed a little, this self-reliant attitude gets escalated to pride and then pride gives way to arrogance. If we fail, which all of us do, anybody else? Yes. Okay. If we fail, which we are prone to do when we work outside the will of God, we cope with our fear through outbursts of anger, or we do the opposite and turn that emotion inward and retreat within ourselves. We might use anger to hide our fears and assert control because we believe the world will unravel if we do nothing. We feel constantly pressured to fix everything on our own and we may retreat because we're afraid to deal with the real situation at hand because it might hurt too much. We may begin to numb ourselves or distract ourselves with people, passions, possessions, positions, or performance. This is where we create idols out of these roles that we play in life where addictions come in that they're just numbing out the pain of separation from the Father. When we're driven by performance, seeing God as a taskmaster rather than a father, when we carry an orphan spirit, we misinterpret God's laws as restrictions rather than guideposts to freedom, a rich inheritance of real wisdom from a loving dad. Anyone know what the third commandment is? Anybody, anybody? Okay, it'll come up on screen in just a second. So (laughs) commandment number three, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. So the word for vain is shav. Shav means empty, worthless, futile, false. It is a word that means destruction, emptiness, isolation. It is awful, but it's worthless, meaningless, devoid of value. When God revealed his name to Moses in the burning bush, Moses said to God in Exodus 3.13, indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say, what's his name? What should I say to them? Keep in mind, bush is burning and not consumed, and it has a voice emitting from it. (laughs) And God said to Moses, Yod-Heh-Vav-Heh, I am who I am, I create, I, am, I, I, I create whatever I create. And then God said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Yeah. So God's name is I am. And you know, a son carries his father's name. He's his father's name sake. And I wonder if a loving father who wants to guide his kids into understanding their identity, might care a little bit more about what we put our I am to, yes. wants to wanting to keep us from putting our I am to something is, that is worthless, devoid of meaning, or less than we truly are. Yeah. I wonder if God cares more about that than if we inadvertently said, Jesus Christ, or right. oh my God, right. in an irreverent manner. I believe that that's more important to God because in the Bible, Genesis, in Genesis, it says that God made man in his image. Genesis 127, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created the male and female. He created them. First Corinthians 619 says, have you forgotten that your body is now the sacred temple of the spirit of holiness who lives in you? You don't belong to yourself any longer for the gift of God, the Holy Spirit, lives inside your sanctuary. You know, the, a glove is made in the image of a hand because it's meant to hold a hand perfectly. If you've ever worn a well-made leather glove, it fits your hand perfectly, hence the phrase, fits like a glove. If you were to take that beautiful pair of leather gloves and inadvertently maybe leave them in a pocket while you were washing your jeans and they went through the wash and then went through the dryer, they would come out looking like this. (laughs) Twisted, deformed, unable to carry, the image of what they were meant to be filled with. When we carry an orphan spirit from a wrong belief about God, our hearts become like that twisted, deformed glove. And there are some people that have sat in church for a very long time singing all about Jesus, but never being restored to the Father. And when we're not restored to the Father, his spirit can't come and land on us. And so that promise of living water flowing out of our hearts doesn't happen. And we can go through the motions and come forward and pray that the Holy Spirit would fall on us, but the Holy Spirit needs a landing place. And that landing place comes, I'll get to it in a minute, when the relationship between son and father is restored. God does heart surgery on us and restores our broken hearts with a new heart where life can come and live. Amen? Amen. All right, so when relationship with the Father and Son is broken in our hearts, we become spiritual orphans. Our inheritance begins with identity. And Your inheritance is your identity. Your I am establishes your inheritance. When you say that you are less than a child of God, when you put your I am to things that are worthless and devoid of meaning, you squander your inheritance. God does not want you to squander your spiritual inheritance. You were created as children of the most high God, residents of heaven. We are but sojourners here on this earth. Earth. Our home is heaven and God is our father. And when we're restored in relationship, we start to be restored in authority. And when we're restored in authority, we start to walk with purpose, that relationship is fully restored. God does not want you believing a lie that is vain, empty, worthless. He wants you to be his child. He wants you to get a revelation that he is your father and you are his child, that you walk with his name. That in Job fifteen thirty one it says, let him not trust in emptiness for emptiness will be his payment. When you put your I am to something that is empty, when you trust in something that is less than what he calls you to be, you, and you wonder why is my life empty and devoid of meaning? Job fifteen thirty one. Okay. Nobody take that as their life verse. <laughs> English is a, is a um, identity-based language. My first language was French, and in French, and all the Latin-based languages, you don't say, I am hungry, you say, I have hunger. You don't say, I am thirsty, you say, I have thirst. If you have something, it's easy to release something. It's a lot easier to release something you have than try to change who you are. People think that they are going to find hope and happiness in taking on an identity that is less than a child of God. And let me tell you that that is not a freedom, that is a chain of bondage to this world. You will never be spiritually free when you put your I am to something that is less than your true identity as a child of God, amen? So blinded by a wrong view of the Father, instead of seeing commandments as coming from the heart of a loving, wise God, we can see them as restrictions. The laws of God are seen as restrictions instead of signposts, which would lead to a blessed life. And when the way that the way we see God has been twisted by a broken, orphaned heart, there are only two ways that you'll end up. Either a rebel or a zealot. That you'll either become religious or you'll step into rebellion. But either of those things are evidence of wanting to keep control and feeling out of control because you don't have a relationship with your father who gives you a sense of identity, gives you authority, and gives you purpose. And there's no story that illustrates this better in the Bible than the parable of the lost sons. In that story, there is a rebel and there's a religious son. And this message is today is called Rebellion, Religion, and Spirit-Filled Sons. And I believe that God is going to do some work on restoring our hearts to the Father today. Amen? Amen. So in this story, and I'm going to paraphrase for the sake of time, but if you want to go to Luke 15, 11 through 32, or just download my notes, you're welcome to follow along. But I'm going to give you the paraphrased Version and give you uh, give you my best to, to bring do the story justice. But there's the story takes place. It opens up at a dinner table where a father and whose two sons are gathered for dinner. And the youngest son says to his father, "Look, I know that you've got some money, and I know some of it is coming to me. So I'm going to get an inheritance eventually. But I actually think I'm wiser than you. So I would like my inheritance early, so I can spend it in the way that I see fit and enjoy it while I'm young. And the The father, which is shocking because that would be the most dishonoring thing that a son in biblical times could say to his father at his father's table, at his father's house of, I want to live as if you were dead. Give me my money. The father actually says, okay. And he sells the goods that would be due to that son as an inheritance. And he gives the money to his son. And if his son were living in Southern California today, he would go off to Vegas and get a penthouse at Vegas City Center and get a bunch of hookers and blow and have a party. It's not a good party. I am not promoting prostitution or cocaine, but I'm just saying it's the story. It's biblical. You can look at it. Maybe not the cocaine part, but he's partying in the way that they would party in, you know, 32 AD. So, Once the drugs ran out, once the prodigal living ran out, the prostitutes went home, his fast friends abandoned him, and a famine came on the land, and he sold himself into indentured servitude to a pig farmer. Pigs were considered the most unclean animals in Israel. So this would also be shocking that the son of a reputable father from a good home would sell himself into slavery, into the most unclean profession imaginable. And then the pigs are eating better than him. So he comes to himself, he has a revelation of his father, but it's still twisted by an orphaned heart. He doesn't think he's worthy to be called a son anymore, but he thinks, if I just went back to my father's house and sold myself to him as a slave, maybe I would be accepted back in and I would get a little bit better food. And so he turns to go back to his father and his father is looking for him because while he's still miles away from home, his father is like, is that, oh my God, it is. And he runs to his son and he falls on him and he kisses him and he hugs him. He's not afraid to touch the uncleanness that his son carries. He's just so happy that his son's coming home. And then he calls to his servants and says, bring my best robe. I wanna restore his identity because the robe always speaks to identity. And he goes out and restores the identity of the son and then he says, bring the signet ring, the ring that would restore his authority in his house. I want him to know that he can sign documents, that he is an agent of my will, that he can do what he was created to do as a son. He restores his authority. Then he puts sandals on his feet and restores his purpose. And then he calls to his servants and says, slay the fatted calf so that we can be married because my son that was lost has come home. And the sandals that are purpose are a picture of the Holy Spirit. The signet ring that is authority is a picture of the Son, the authority of heaven. The robe is a picture of the Father God. His identity is restored. And the fatted calf is the picture of the church, the bride of Christ. That when we're restored internally, then we can find a bride. And out of restored internal relationship, we find relationship with each other. And like we saw this morning, families grow, communities grow. A family is is the center point of community. Churches are birthed out of family. And if you're single, I don't want you to take this as a discouragement. I want you to take this as an encouragement. Even what Pastor Matt was talking about this morning, bark off that you're single, let him connect you with other people in the church. Maybe not as the first thing, but as an eventual outcome, we want to get you on a trajectory of actual growth. Right. Restore your relationship with Father God through the Son so that you can receive the Holy Spirit. So you can start to walk with real purpose and not have to try to stay away from sinning but live a life that's actually transformed and empowered by the power of God. Then we want you to find a bride. We want you to find a husband. We want to find a connection in relationship because it's not good that man should be alone. That we are created to be fruitful and multiply. I had a very broken relationship with my father who was a very broken man. He performed very well during his his life for acceptance. He was orphaned by his parents. His parents died in prison for forgery. They forged French francs in the 1940s and they died in prison. He was raised by his aunt. He went into the army and became a famous parachutist in the French army. And when he was released from serving in the army, he took the money that he was given in the army and went to Cordon Bleu, the best chefing school in the world and graduated top of his class in Cordon Bleu, went to go work as a sous chef at Chez Maxime, the most famous restaurant in the world at the time in Paris. And he was a celebrated chef there and thought, I'm going to bring the best French cuisine to Canada. And so he came to Vancouver and he met my mom who was beautiful, got married, opened a restaurant. They received their first Michelin star. He thought, if I can do it here, I can bring this back to France. So they bought a house and a restaurant on the Bay of Saint-Tropez in the south of France, the place where all of the celebrities would go in the 70s partying partying on yachts during the Cannes Film Festival. And he brought his restaurant there and they had a three Michelin star rated restaurant in the Bay of Saint-Tropez. Beautiful wife, beautiful son, beautiful family. But he found his identity in that. He found his identity in performance. And his performance stretched him so thin that he turned to alcohol and became an emotionally abusive alcoholic. And then alcohol took his marriage, took his family, took his business, and eventually took his life. But when I was a little kid and my parents were going through their divorce, my father could only see me with a court-appointed supervisor and he tapped out. I think because his pride couldn't stand it he had created a vision for himself and all of these idols, which though good are less than what God had called him to, that he had an orphaned heart and he passed that on to me. I was a great soccer player, I was a great swimmer and I would bring my trophies, I would bring my little swimming badges to my dad just to say, like, look at me, acknowledge me, notice me. I'm, I'm your son, I, I want your praise. And all I could ever get from him is, Morgan, your mother, she ruined my life, huh? Morgan, you know, your mother, she is so good looking. Morgan, you are like your mother, you know. But Morgan, I have nothing for you, you know. Your mother took everything from me. Morgan, you know, I love you, but I hate your mother. You know, let's not talk about your mother. But you know, Morgan, your mother, you know? It was just on and on and on and on. I'm like, dad, hey, I'm alive over here, please. And I think about how that affected my life and some of you heard me preach a message about how it flowed into other areas of my life where I'm striving to perform and allowing things that should not have happened to me to happen to me so that I wouldn't be rejected, fearing rejection so much that I just felt like I needed to perform to be accepted. And in my career, I advanced rapidly. I, was a, I work in branding and I was an art director by the time I was 21, I was crea- a creative director by the time I was 23. And like Joe was talking about, I also experienced a ton of anxiety. I was on a, a trip to New York for work where I'm trying to expand this line of a company that I was the chief creative officer of and I'm walking through Times Square and I had a massive panic attack that I thought was gonna end my life. And it was actually the thing that ultimately brought me to God. It started that slow journey of restoration because I realized that no matter how things, good things looked on the outside, that there was more. And sometimes it just starts with that question. Is there more? And sometimes that that question needs to be met with community of people that are encouraging and speaking life into you and not just giving you worldly answers, but giving you supernatural wisdom. There's a story that God brought me to recently and we tell it in Hero the Rock Musical and it's a story that's told in all four gospels. It's the story of Mary Magdalene and her alabaster jar of oil. And I'd seen this played out on the stage. I played Jesus for seven years in Hero and I'd said these lines over and over again, but God prompted me to look at all four of the gospel retellings of this story. Because if you put those four sets of scripture up next to each other, they reveal details that you don't see by just reading one. And what I saw was that this dinner party took place in the house of a Pharisee named Simon. But two of the Gospel accounts say that Simon was a leper. They call him Simon the leper, not Simon the Pharisee. In John's account, it reveals that Simon was the father of Judas Iscariot. So I can imagine how this dinner party set up and you've got Lazarus and you've got Martha and you've got Mary all there. By the way, picture of a dysfunctional family Lazarus had left his father's home, which was not something that you did in those times, to go find his fortune in the city. Mary had gone into prostitution, and like a lot of children that grow up in dysfunctional homes, Martha settled into codependency, the controlling, fixing, obsessing, people-pleasing, chaos-creating, and secretly resenting her siblings, uh, person that she was. So, of course, she's at this dinner party serving, There's people that are around that are marveling at Lazarus, who's been recently raised from the dead. And Mary gets very emotional and goes and grabs this alabaster jar that's probably worth about 10 grand. It's the most valuable possession that she has. And she breaks it open and starts anointing Jesus while she's crying and washing him with her tears and this oil and then drying the whole mess with her hair, and she's on the floor. And the Pharisee, who is Judas's father, disqualifies himself from healing. I wonder if Judas said to his dad, hey, I know you've got leprosy and you've been pretty successful in hiding it. You know, and you've been socially distancing and you've got your mask and all of that, but my, my, if I just invite my teacher to your house, if you'll just host a party, I can, get, I can get some of our friends to do all the work, but if you'll just have him there, I know that he'll be able to see you and heal you. Dad, what do you say? And so they invite him into this house, and Simon the Pharisee, who has disqualified himself with a religious spirit that he carries, says to himself, thinks inside his head, if this man were a real prophet, he would see the woman who's touching him, for she is a prostitute. He would see that she's unclean. And then Jesus responds to him with a parable, and then he says, Simon, do you see this woman? When I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with the rain of her tears and dried them with her hair. You didn't anoint me with oil, but she has anointed me with costly oil, the most expensive possession that she has. She's anointed me for burial. You didn't even greet me with a kiss, but she has not stopped kissing me since she got here. And truly I say to you, her sins, which were many are forgiven for she loves much but he who is forgiven little also loves little then he says to mary right in front of simon and the whole group daughter your sins are forgiven your faith has saved you and it's such a rebuke to this religious man but I don't believe that it was meant in condemnation. I believe that from the heart of Christ, it was meant for reconciliation, that it was an invitation. Simon, you saw yourself as unclean, but I have never seen you as unclean. I know what she did, but I don't care. She's my daughter, I want to restore her. If you would only believe, you could touch me and you would be healed. But because you carry the spirit inside of you, it's keeping you from the river of life. And then Judas comes in to defend his dad and says, oh, this is just wasteful. This woman should be rebuked. She shouldn't be celebrated. This this oil could have been sold for a year's wages and given to the poor. And then Jesus is like, Judas, she did the right thing. And in fact, whenever my story is told in every gospel account, she will be mentioned because of her sacrifice. She did the right thing. You have the poor with you always, but you only have me for a short time. Rebukes the religious father, rebukes the religious son. The word Iscariot means dagger man. Scholars believe that Judas was a zealot, dagger carrying Sicari that he would go and kill Roman sympathizers before he became a disciple. And what walked in the father ran in the son. I believe that Simon could have restored Judas if he would have just believed. But right after that incident, the next reported thing in the Bible, Judas went to the head priests and said, how much you give me for Jesus. And if you've ever wondered, how could somebody that walked the world with Jesus, that saw the world get turned upside down, that saw the most incredible miracles in the history of humanity happen, how could he betray him? Religious spirit, broken relationship with his father, trying to prove his own worth to his earthly father because he didn't have a revelation of his father in heaven. But there's another story in the gospel, and this is the story of Peter when he gets his name, the rock. That the Bible says in Ezekiel 36, 26, that I will take your heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will take your heart of stone out of you and I will put a heart of flesh into you. And it says that the out of the heart will flow rivers of living water, the Holy Spirit comes out of a restored heart. That word stone is eben. It's a conjunction of two words and it has a double meaning. Eben is a sling stone. It's the kind of stone that took down Goliath. It's the kind of stone that people were stoned with. And when you have a broken heart, your heart becomes a weapon against people that you're supposed to bring life to. But when a heart's restored, and the only way a heart is restored is when Av connects with Ben. That the first part of Eben is the same as Abba. It means father. The second part of Eben is Ben, which means son. And when the relationship with father and son is restored, God's spirit finally has a place to land And out of that, rivers of life flow. The church is built, life is restored. And Jesus said to Peter, but who do you say I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, I didn't reveal this to you. Mankind didn't reveal this to you. This was revealed by my father in heaven. He's acknowledging that Peter's relationship with his heavenly father has been restored. And he says, now Peter, you are the rock, Eben. In Aramaic, Peter's name would have been Eben, rock. It's, it's translated in Greek to Petro, which means rock in Greek, but his true name would have been Eben. And upon this rock, the rock of your heart, the place where my spirit can land, I'm going to build my church And I know that there are some of you that probably have broken relationships with your fathers. And I know from myself, speaking from my own experience, that when I had a broken relationship with the idea of what father was, I wanted a relationship with the son because I knew I needed restoration, but I wanted to be restored to the son. I was terrified of the father. I was like, can we just have the New Testament without the Old Testament? Not realizing God's heart, I saw him with a distorted lens because my heart had been orphaned. And I want to invite you that if this is a message that you're saying like we praised in the song, that you feel like it's too good to believe. I wanna tell you that it's, not, it's too good to not believe that my life is a living witness and there are so many lives in here that are living witnesses to the power of God working in a human heart, bringing restoration that couldn't come through any natural means. Can I have everybody bow their heads and close their eyes? If you know you've been seeing the Father wrongly and this message has given you hope for a type of restoration you maybe didn't believe was possible, I want you to respond. And if you've been stuck in a religious by stuck by a religious spirit or in some way have been in rebellion, I want to invite you to come back home to the Father. If you know you've been putting your I am to identities that are far less than who you are as a son or daughter of the Most High, I want to invite you to come home to Daddy's house. That the Bible breaks sin into three categories. They say it's lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes and pride of life. Lust of the flesh is all the carnal sins. It's like the sins of Mary, prostitution, fornication, addiction, all of that stuff. And I'm telling you that a spirit, that's a spirit of rebellion. But lust of the eyes is look but don't touch. It's being afraid of the laws of man, of being caught in our sin and being rejected by man. It doesn't take into account the laws of God. And you can have Lust in your heart, and Jesus says, with lust in your heart, you're guilty of adultery. If you have hate in your heart heart towards your brother, you're guilty of murder. In his ministry, Jesus only healed the ones that were lust of the flesh people. The lust of the eyes people that wanted to touch but didn't touch because they were afraid of consequences, they went away angry and the pride of life people that are congratulating themselves for outward appearances that they want to, but they don't touch for fear of retribution. And then they congratulate themselves for being better people because they've got it all together on the outside. Those are the pride of life people and he detested them. But I want you to know that there is restoration possible for all three categories, whether you've been in rebellion or you've been stuck in religion, I want to invite you to come home and if these words are impacting you right now at the count of three, I just want you to raise your hand so I can pray with you. Is there anybody like that in here? One, two, three. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you, God bless you, God bless you. God bless you, God bless you. God bless you. God bless you, God bless you. God bless you, God bless you, God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you, God bless you. Hands going up all over the place while every head is still bowed and every eye is still closed there's one more category that i want to pray for some of you have been dishonoring your earthly fathers because you don't believe that they act honorably and god wants to restore you to relationship with himself the ultimate father to give you a new identity as a child of heaven a son of the one who honors while we were still far from god he honored us with his best his son and we honor our earthly fathers not because they are honorable but because we are honorable. As a child of God, honor is our way. Honor between a father and a son creates family, and family is the bedrock of community. God, The devil wants to destroy families because he wants to kill, steal and destroy the world. He doesn't like community. He doesn't like people. He wants to bring destruction. Singleness isn't a river of life. It's death and aloneness and He wants to restore the singles. He wants to create healthy marriages, create healthy families and it starts with restoring our hearts to our Father. So if there is anybody that has been far from their father and doesn't even know how to forgive, I want to give you an opportunity today to raise your hand and I want to pray with you. Is there anybody like that in here today? God bless you. God bless you 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 God bless you, God bless you, God bless you. Hands going up all over the place. Now I want everybody to join together in a prayer for everyone that raised their hands that we get to be a community. We are the great cloud of witnesses that surround people and grow around them in in, encouraging them in their walk. So repeat after me, Father God, I thank you that you are a good dad. God, I pray today for a fresh revelation of relationship to all of us here. God, I pray that we would begin to trust you at your word and as relationship is restored, the Holy Spirit would land and live in our hearts in a way that would transform the world. I believe that you sent Jesus on a rescue mission to restore our relationship. I declare that I am a child of God, that heaven is my home and that God is my father, in Jesus' name,
0: amen. Wow.